Oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the broken. You're going to receive from the Lord today. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. Thank you again, worship team, for <clears throat> appreciate all that you guys do to get us ready to come before Jesus. And uh, that's an amazing thing. It just astounds me that this um, ordinary, what light industrial building we're in, becomes a place where God chooses to meet with his people, known as Fresno Church, every week. Always faithful, always here. And we are so blessed to be a part of that. Uh, I know we're getting into the Christmas spirit. This is the time of the year when the church gets into arguments about should we be singing all Christmas hymns, no Christmas hymns, what should we be doing? And uh, I want to promise you Christmas is coming at church. I will have a Christmas message for you next week. And then Hunter will have one for you on Christmas Day. So you're going to get two Christmas messages this year. But today we're going to continue looking at what we looked at two weeks ago. And that is... What are the marks of a healthy, growing church? You know, my time as an interim is limited with you, and so I really want to get some, some, uh, some principles down here and some things to remind us about as we're looking toward the future here <clears throat> and uh, getting to the end of the year and a new year coming. It's a great time to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So last week, we looked at four marks of a healthy church, and those marks we looked at were um, a healthy, growing church is a learning church, a loving church, a Lord-focused church that's talking about their rituals and things, and it's a praying church also. So today we're going to go back to that same passage we looked at before, Acts chapter 2, starting about verse 41, and we just looked at verse 42 last week. This week we're going to look at verses 43 through 47. We're going to look at five more marks of a healthy, growing church. This is, remember, this is the early church. This is the church in its infancy. It was brand new. It had that new church smell already, all right? So it was just, it, they, were, they were excited. We're going to see what's going on. So Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 41. So then, those who had received his word, they're talking about Peter's word, because he just, the part we, we skipped from Pentecost, from the Pentecost sermon where, where people came. So it's that sermon, and he preached it. That's the bulk of the Acts chapter 2. So those who had received his word were baptized, and on that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as, men, as any might have need, anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, as we have already been in your presence as a church today, we pray that that might continue. Father, you have spoken to us through music, through our covenant, through prayers and our time together. 
And Father, hopefully we have heard your voice through those things also. As we have spoken to you, you have spoken to us. Today, Father, we pray now that that may continue, that your Holy Spirit may bring to life your word. <clears throat> that, Father, it may not just be words on a page, but it may be words written on the tablets of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, since I've got five points today rather than my typical three, let's jump right into it, all right? So here we go. A healthy, growing church is also a powerful church. Now, this is something that I feel a little bit weird about, you know, talking about here, but, but it's something that was really happening. We, to be honest, we don't believe in that kind of power anymore. I, I have to admit, we just don't. But they did, and so as he looked at it, it says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and there were many signs and wonders taking place through all the apostles. Now, remember, they had just seen... 3,000 people come to know Jesus and get baptized. They had just seen that miracle of Pentecost, and they said, you know what? That's not enough. The Holy Spirit kept working through these people, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now, that shouldn't be surprising. shouldn't be surprising to us at all, because if you go back just a few verses, when Peter's preaching, he says this in verses 17 to 19. And it shall be on the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, will have dreams. And even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. He's saying, everybody, no matter what your walk of life, and I will display wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Now, that's a huge promise from God that I think we forget a lot of times. And this church kept seeing it over and over again. If we move forward in the book of Acts, in chapter 3, we're going to see that Peter heals a lame man at the temple. And it causes a lot of attention, but there's a healing that goes on. If you go forward to chapter 5, Peter is released from jail by an angel. Well, actually, Peter and John. You jump on to chapter 12, Peter's released by an angel again. In chapter 8, God heals the people of Samaria through Philip, and we could go on and on and on through the book of Acts. They kept seeing these miracles happen. Why did they see these miracles happen? Because this church had faith. They actually believed in the power of God. And uh, you know what? Jesus told them that the whole time that he was here. In fact, if we look back in the Gospels in Matthew 9, Jesus tells a woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years that her faith, had made her well. If you go just a few verses later, (coughs) in Matthew 9 again, in verse um, uh, 29 and 30, Jesus says to two men who are blind, he says, it shall be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. If you jump over to the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 17, Jesus tells his disciples, if you had this faith the size of a mustard seed, tiny little seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, not for, his, not for our glory, not to impress people, not to say, hey, we can, we can do magic better than any, you know, anybody that's on pen and Teller's Fool Us or whatever, or works at the Magic Castle or that kind of thing. But God does these miracles for his glory and for his benefit. But again, let's go back to Luke 17 again. He says to the Samaritan leper, stand up your faith has made you whole. And I got one other verse I want to share with you. Matthew 13, 58. Jesus, it says, Jesus did not do many miracles there 
because of their unbelief. And I think sometimes why churches don't grow and why churches aren't healthy and growing is because the people of the church don't believe it's possible anymore. Either they believe God doesn't do that anymore, or they believe, we talked about that in my first sermon here, about that God doesn't speak that way anymore, that they believe that God didn't speak at all, he just spoke through angels, and that they had lost their, their belief that God was willing to do mighty things. Yet, I want you to know, even here at this time that I've been here, I've seen things like that happen. I've seen lives be changed. I've seen people uh, make, uh, make movements in their, in, their, in their life, giving more of their life to Jesus. And that's what these miracles are really all about. Now, I'm not trying to, to, uh, to minimize things here. These things were true miracles. And they happened because the people had faith. In our modern world, we struggle with that. I mentioned we talked about Pentecost, that those of us are from the evangelical tradition, and especially many of you are from the Baptist tradition. We get nervous talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I heard a, a pastor friend of mine just yesterday in a message he was giving said uh, he's preached at a, at a revival service on the Holy Spirit, and he said the number of people came up and said, I can't remember the last time I heard somebody preach on the Holy Spirit in a Baptist church. You know, it's a, sort of a shame there. But the Holy Spirit still works, and works today. And he's working in our lives just as much as anybody else. But we kind of, our Western modern minds freak out about that. I knew a very godly man uh, named C.B. Hogue. You uh, wouldn't necessarily know the name. He lived here in Fresno for a while. He was one of those guys that, that, that um, he was a part of the Baptist World Alliance and the Lausanne Committee on World Evangelism. And so he would travel all over the world for things. And he told me of a time he was in South Asia. And he was talking to some believers there. One of the believers said, you need to meet my, my neighbor. He said, what do you mean? He says, well, he was dead and he came back to life. And he said, you know, my Western modern mind was like, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, probably. You know, there's all, you know, there's all sorts of things. You know, in a place where you don't have as much modern medicine that, you know, maybe you thought he was dead, but, you know, that kind of stuff. And he said, no. He said, uh, he, and he introduced him to the neighbor. And he said, what, what was the story here? He says, I was depressed. I hung myself in my backyard. And his, my, my friend's friend found him and um, pulled him down from the tree where he was hanging himself and laid him out and said he was cold and gathered the church together and they prayed over the man. And if, after about 30 minutes, he started breathing again. And I, with like my friend, I sit here and go like, okay, God, was that a miracle? There was probably some other explanation for that. It, it and to be honest, it scares me a little bit to think of a God who does that kind of miracle. It really does. And, um, but I believe it can happen. I believe God still does things like that. He may do it in ways that we don't see. All I can tell you this is my friend asked the, the man who had died, he said, what happened to you during that 30 minutes you were dead? And he goes, I cannot tell you where I was, but I can tell you this. I never want to go back there again. And so, and this man gave his life to Jesus. <sighs> to me, that's a miracle also. Now, I don't want, you know, if God does miracles in our midst, I imagine I would get used to it. Um, Hunter, we used to sing a song years ago, says, let the glory of the Lord rise among us. And to be honest, that song always scared me because I thought, what would we do in our church if God's glory appeared like at Pentecost again? What would we do? I imagine some of us would run out of the room screaming. 
I imagine some of us are just faint dead away right there, just, just pass out. You know, so maybe that's why God doesn't show us glory. But remember, we're not here for God to do miracles. But we are here for God to show his power and his glory. And to be honest, it came up to me, for God to, to, to heal somebody of cancer, I would love to see that. We were praying today for, for a man who has cancer uh, in a prayer time this morning. And I think of many minister friends I have right now that have cancer. And yes, I'd love to see that. But if it came down to it, I know my minister friends that have cancer say, if it came down to a miracle of my being healed of cancer and somebody else being healed of separation from God through sin, this is the miracle I would go for. I just say as a church, we need to be open for all of those because we still serve a powerful God. And I know there are people that have been through what this church has been through and said, God has given up on this church. And I do not believe that for a moment. Because Fresno Church serves a powerful God, and that powerful God is still working among us. And we just need to be ready and open our eyes to it. And I want to ask today, don't open your, don't, don't, I want to see a show of hands, but I want you to ask yourself right now, how many of you, as you walked into this building today, thought, I wonder how God is going to manifest himself in our church today? My guess is very few of us did. We thought, what's the worship going to be like? Who's going to be here today? How long is the preacher going to go? That kind of thing. Is the temperature going to be good? But when you got up this morning, did you think, I go into the presence of my Father today with His people, and I believe He will be there with us, and He will show Himself to us in some way. may not be tongues of fire. In fact, I kind of hope it's not really, but maybe that's why it's not going to happen, but I do believe God wants to show himself to us in some way today. Now, I don't believe that God owes us miracles and signs just because we have faith. I want to say again, God does his works for his purposes alone. And we do not control him. We do not. But even if we don't see miracles regularly, are we a church that has the faith that will still allow God to show his wonders? And to inspire awe in his people, just like it did then. Many signs and wonders were happening among the apostles. Is God still able to work signs and wonders on us, healing however it may be? And I do not care whether the world can explain it or not. It's still God showing his power. Do we have a sense of awe as we come before our Father in this church? So just like last time, we've got a little handout that if you didn't get it, maybe there's an an usher in here that might have some. Uh, Okay, Reuben, you've got some. So if you don't have one of the little handouts, raise your hand and Reuben will get one for you real quick. Um, So Reuben, if you don't mind, if you could do that, I would appreciate it. Thank you very much. Red's coming to help there. I don't always have a handout, but this one, kind of, you need something to look at. So I've got some things for you to think about. This is not for you to hand in. This is just for you to think about. So here's what I ask you today with this part of this message. Do you truly expect God to show up among us? Do you truly expect that? And if not, why not? Second, do you pray for God's will to be done in us and through us as a church and as individuals? And those prepositions are important. We want God to be working in the lives of each one of us. But we also want God to be working through the lives of each one of us as we go out throughout this week and the rest of our lives. 
And do you have areas of your life where your faith is visible to others? Are you willing to have a faith that demonstrates that you have faith? That's one of those tricky kinds of things, circular stuff. If you don't have enough faith that shows you have faith, then you don't have faith. All right? If you're just not willing to step out and try something new. So I want you to think about those things. And I, I admit, it's tough for me sometimes. It really is tough. There are times for me that I feel like God is demonstrating, you know, pushing me to show faith. And my question is, Lord, are you sure about that? You know, and I don't think God ever is ever going to say, you know, yeah, now that I think about it, no, I've changed my mind. You know, it's ought to be that kind of thing that when God says act, we need to act. It's the old saying about when God says jump, we don't ask how high, we just start jumping and he'll let us know when it's high enough, all right? So that's the first thing of this church. Out of verse 43, a healthy growing church is a powerful church that believes in God's power and expects it to work. Second thing, in verses 44 and 45, I see that a healthy, growing church is a providing church. Now, relax, guys. This was an easier one for our church a little bit, okay? We noted two weeks ago that the church had koinonia, or a deep fellowship together. This week, we see where the believers put their money where their heart is. They shared free, freely with others in the church who had needs. Now, this is not communism here, okay, when they put all things together together. It's not, but it is what's called communalism. They shared everything together. What's mine is also yours because what's all of ours is really God's. That's where the idea comes from there. And so they did share together. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that they put everything they owned into one communal pot. Maybe they did, maybe we didn't. We don't know. In fact, in the Bible, we only hear of this level of sharing at Jerusalem. And there, there may have been some needs for it. For example, as the first Christians were mostly Jewish, they were, they were mostly Jewish people, and they found themselves increasingly isolated from Jewish society, they may have had to rely on each other more. Maybe they had to have this communalism to be able to survive even. We just don't know. But it is important to know this was totally voluntary. If you jump ahead to Acts chapter 5, you'll see where people were selling their property. It talks about Barnabas, who sold a piece of land and donated it all to the church. And you hear about these people, Ananias and Sapphira. And they sold some property and gave part of it to the church. But then they lied to the church and said it was all of it. And God punished them, not because they didn't give all the money to the church, but because they lied about it. So, in other words, the implication there is God would have been perfectly happy. Peter even says, the money was yours to do with it what you want. So if you sold a property here in Fresno for a half million dollars and you decided to give five dollars to the church... You know, that's, that's up to you. God's not going to necessarily punish you for that. But for lying about it is what they got to. So it was totally voluntary. I do think it was sacrificial. But, you know, it's still, it was totally voluntary. So don't worry, this is not a sermon on giving. I will probably preach one of those later. So you can just start preparing yourself right now. But that will be a couple of months away, all right? Now, this also wasn't, wasn't uncommon in Jewish society. There was this group of people called the Essenes. You know, we hear about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. There were other religious sects in Judaism, almost called the Essenes. These are the people that lived out by the Dead Sea. In fact, if you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that was probably gathered and stored by an Essene community there. And John the Baptist may have been a part of this Essene community. They did put everything together. I mean, everything, all the money stayed in one pot, that nobody had any money themselves. And so maybe there was some influence there, too. 
But again, remember that it's just saying that we, if we remember that God owns everything that we have, and he can do with it what he wants. So let's talk about, budget, let's talk about giving for just a moment. First, I want to tell you, I do believe this is a generous church. I really do. And I want you to know our budget's in good shape. Now, we're not, we're not, um, we're not meeting what we had budgeted for, but we're meeting our expenses right now. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need you to tithe or, or give sacrificially. We won't do that because we still support missionaries. We still have other things going on. But generally, this church has been a, a providing church. I've seen some of what you've done here, okay? Um, I mean, many of us go out and feed, the, feed and clothe the people who are homeless. Uh, we could probably give more to that, but we do some of that. People are giving of their time. We're collecting gifts right now for Rescue the Children. That's through today, right? So if somebody says this afternoon, oh, I meant to go grab something, can they want to run to Walmart real quick? All right, it's, it's okay for that expense to go shopping on the Sabbath or on Sunday, whatever, you know what it is. But you're, you still have problems with that, okay? So, you know, a lot of this depends on how we frame, frame our lives. In fact, most of us in this church probably don't have big financial needs. Now, there's probably nobody in this church that says, I've got all the money I really want and need. All of us could probably, you know, John D. Rockefeller was one time asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little more than I have right now. All right, and that's probably how we all sort of feel too. But, um, you know, uh, I don't have a lot of huge financial needs. Depends on, again, how I can frame it. You know, yeah, I drive a car that's uh, almost 10 years old and, and uh, it's a really cheap, small car and um, I have not gone on a big vacation in quite a while and things like that. There's, there's areas of my life where I've been pretty frugal, uh, but there's also things I waste money on. You know, oh my gosh, I think we spend like a million and a half every month just on streaming services at my house. So it's, it's, it's it, you know, so, uh, so there's places where I'm frugal, places where I'm, where I'm probably not as frugal. And we look at places like Bangladesh or Ukraine where people have real needs. Sometimes they seem so far away to us that they don't feel real. All I'm trying to say at this point is I can't tell you how much giving is enough. Okay? I can't tell you whether you should sell your extra car and give the money to the poor or whether you should um, house a homeless person in your spare bedroom or donate a large amount of money to missions, that kind of thing. And as I said, for most of us, are we rich, are we poor, depends on how you frame it. All I can say for this is a providing church is one where not only the church itself but also the individual sit here and say, God, everything I have belongs to you. And Father, every, I won't say every day, but every week, as you look at things, you will say, Lord, I will do with my money what you desire. And if it's to give more to the church, if it's to give somewhere else, that is, that is up to you as long as it's where God is directing you. But we should be a church that provides for people. And we do a good job of that. But um, here's what I want to encourage you to do at this point. All right, the only instruction I give you is take these verses and opportunity to go hum before God humbly and seek his evaluation and his guidance on your generosity. And here's some guidelines. Do you seek God's will in all areas of your finances? Right? That may be important, especially for, for married couples. My wife and I never did this. I think she wanted to, but I never, I, I never was comfortable with it. But you have a thing where you're like, like, yeah, this is all our money, but this part's my money, this part's your money. You know, and if that works for you guys, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I was just never, never comfortable with it, but, um, but don't do that with God. God, this is, you know, 
I give you the 10% or whatever, and that means they can do whatever with the 90%. It's not that way at all. That you should seek God's guidance in every area of your finances, even the parts where you really don't want to hear from him. Those are probably the parts you really need to look at the most. All right, so do you take joy in the opportunities to provide for the needs of others and not in ways that bring you recognition? Okay, not in ways that bring you recognition. If you're giving for your glory, then that's not being providing, that's being self-centered church. But do you take joy in providing for the needs of others? Next, do you treat every possession you have as a loaner from God and not your own? Everything is. You're not going to be able to hold on to any of it. Not any of it. And even if you did, what good would it be? You know, I heard it's an old, stupid joke, and I won't tell it as a joke. Okay, I just do the quick, of the guy that figured, figured out how to take, had all his money converted to gold and uh, decided he wanted to be buried with it so he could take it to heaven with him. He figured out how to do it. And when he got to heaven, he was walking around with all, these, with all this gold in his pockets, and one other resident of heaven turned to another and said, why is that guy walking around with all that pavement in his pockets? In case you don't know, it's, the old thing is that streets are paved with gold in heaven, so all right. It's just a stupid joke, I know, but stupid idea also. You can't take it with you, and why would you want to? So make sure we're just offering every part of it to God. In fact, side, this one's a freebie, okay? One of the reasons why I'm in, try to be environmentally conservative, now I know I don't do great. Sometimes, sometimes I'll take a shower a little hotter than I should and, 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 you know, and, and waste energy and stuff like that. I can't, I can't bring myself to do the, a, a nice cold GI shower, you know, but... But uh, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the poster child for environmentalism, but I really try to work hard at it because you know what? This earth doesn't belong to me. My house doesn't belong to me. And one day I'm going to give it all back to God and I want to return it in better shape than I got it because it all belongs to him. And lastly, with this point, do you look for God-directed ways to be more generous? Maybe it's with your money. Maybe it's with your time. Maybe it's with your attention but just to be providing for people, all right? Because we, a healthy, growing church is a providing church. Now, maybe that, tough, maybe that point was a little bit tougher than I, than I thought it would be, okay? So let's, let's try to find an easier one for you, and I do think this one's easy for us. A healthy, growing church is a praising church, and I think we do that pretty well. Verse 46 says, they were in the temple daily. Now relax. That does not mean I expect you to be here every day, all right? But I'll tell you this, they had the church where somebody from the church was in the temple every day. As long as the temple was open for services, there was somebody from the church there. And they showed up for, first they showed up for the regular Jewish worship because, as I said, remember, the Christians at that time considered themselves both Jewish and Christian. We're not at the point yet where Christianity had separated from Judaism. By the way, that was the, well, we won't get into that now, we'll, we'll leave that for later. So they were always there at the temple worshiping because it was part of their tradition, but it's what they wanted to be doing. Now let's move it back to our worship services again. I asked you earlier today, how many of you walked in to this service expecting to see God manifest his power among us? Most of us didn't. How many of you walked into the service expecting God to manifest his presence with us? 
I want you to pay attention to how you walk into the service. Now, again, church culture, I mean, we're, we're a fellowshipping church, and, um, and that's a good thing. And I know as I walked in, I wanted to say hi to certain people, all right? Well, I wanted to say hi to all of you, but I mean, I pick, pick particular ones to try to say, to say hi to as we're, as we're getting ready. Um, and, and that's important that we do have some fellowship. But do we have a sense of, while there's nothing special about this, I don't know, what is this, 2,000 square feet of concrete we have right here in this room, whatever. There's nothing special about that except that this is the place we've designated as the place where we meet the Father. So did you walk into it knowing this is our special place, God, our special place with you? I'm not talking about changing our culture, but I want you to consider I've served in churches where the, 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 the way people came into the church is once they walked through those doors, they didn't talk to anybody until they sat down and spent about 30 seconds to a minute just praying. And then they would get up and fellowship after that. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that's what we should do here. But we have a way of having that attitude to remind us that we are praising not just through our songs, not just through our, our creeds or whatever that we do, but because God is here to meet with us. And that's what we want to do. Think about it this way. If you go over to somebody's house, isn't it polite to greet the owner of the house? Isn't it? If you walked over to somebody, if somebody came over to your house and they didn't even acknowledge your presence, what would you think of that person? Yeah, that's exactly. That's what we'd all think of that person, okay? Let's not walk into God's house and not greet the owner when we come in to greet him and focus on him and say, we are glad to be in your house. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of this everlasting party right here, known as the church. Thank you. So, now I know you're going to come in and, and listen, staff are, are the worst at this, okay? We come in and we're, we're, we're the Marthas, all right? We are, if you know the story of Martha and Mary, we've got so many things to do. And if Hunter's not running around like crazy before the service starts, there's a lot of things that aren't going to happen here. The AV team, you guys got to focus on getting that stuff done. I know. But we still need to take a moment. Even those of us that are, that are working is getting things set up, whether it's AV or greeting or preaching or whatever, just remember that above all else, we're here to worship God. So just two things to think about with this one. First, do your best to focus on God in all of our prayers, our singing, and even our study of Scripture in the sermon. I will always do my best to present an accurate interpretation of God's Word and the most practical application in every sermon. That's, that's, my, that's my promise to you. But just like a good sermon can blow right past you if you're not focused, even a bad sermon can be something God can speak to you through if you're acknowledging His presence here and ready to hear something that He has. So, um, so I'll own my part, you own your part about it. Then let's just pretend to focus. And I'll admit, I do it. There's times that I'm listening to a sermon or I'm sitting there and hearing the songs and I find out I've, I've tuned out. I'm thinking about something else. In fact, I'll admit during one of the songs today, I'm thinking about, I started thinking about the New Year's Day sermon. All right? That was crazy. I had to go like, no, God, that's not the time for that, okay? I need to focus on right here, right now. 
at this point. And second, find time to focus on God and worship Him daily. So if you're just coming in and worshiping Him on Sunday, man, that's... Imagine if you had a, a friend that just ate once a week. That would be the last person you want to sit down at dinner with, wouldn't it be? Okay? All right? So if this is the only time you're feeding and you're acknowledging God's presence here, man, this just that's not pretty. Do it every day to get ready. Fourth, a healthy growing church is a pleasant church. It's pleasant for the people in the church and it's pleasant for the people outside the church. First, let's talk about people inside the church. We've already seen that these people shared their possessions together when necessary and that they ate together daily. They were breaking bread from house to house with gladness and sincerity of heart. They truly enjoyed being together. And to be honest, I think that's true for this church. I watch you guys talk. I watch you guys share. And for most of you, no, not everybody. I mean, every church has got different levels of connection. But for most of you, you connect on a fairly deep level here, and that's great. Is it pleasant for people outside the church? I think maybe we are. I've seen a lot of guests come through our doors, and I've seen, heard good comments. I'll say this, though. During the time that I've been here, and maybe it's my fault, I don't know, but during the time that I've been here, I've seen a lot of first-time guests that never became second-time guests. So I have to ask about that, how pleasant are we for the people out there? And that's a tough balance to walk because we, we, we want to welcome people in, but we also want people to know about Jesus. We want to be people to be convicted of sin. We want people to, to have their lives changed by the presence of God, and that's an uncomfortable thing for people out there, but we still need to do our best to be nice and pleasant. Early in my ministry, I, I did some church planting in Nevada, outside Carson City. And I don't know if you've been out there, you know that um, it is just, just heavy dose of Mormons in that area of Carson City. In fact, the area where I helped plant a church was called Mormon Station, was the name of the area. And um, I found out this about Mormons, okay? Now, I do not agree with Mormon theology. And if you're, any Mormon friends are watching, brothers and sisters, it's the truth, okay? I don't. I think your Jesus is way too small, all right? And I think there are just so many things wrong. But I know some of them love Jesus. They just don't understand Jesus like we do. But here's what I learned about Mormons. Generally speaking, they were nice people. They were nice people. The only people who didn't like Mormons were the people who had been Mormon and left the church. They, it wasn't so nice to, to jack Mormons as they called them sometimes. But, but everybody thought Mormons were so friendly. If you, got, if you had a flat tire on the side of the road, there's a good chance it was a Mormon that stopped by to help you, whatever. They were likable people. And I believe there's a lot of people in the Mormon church right now that are there not because of what they teach about God and what they teach about Jesus, but because they like the people that were there. And if we are, are a likable church, we don't, we don't change truth. We're honest about what we teach and what we believe about Jesus. We believe people are, are going to hell and, and going to spend eternity without Jesus if they don't accept him as their Savior. We need to be honest about that and some people aren't going to like it. But we also need to be likable. There's an old saying, you can't be persuasive if you're abrasive. So let's just remember that. Now, talking about that, uh, in 2016, Lifeway Research asked 2,000 Americans, what would make you more interested in listening to what Christians had to say? 
And to be honest, when you hear anybody talking about the church on news, how many often do you hear people talking about it positively? It's usually negatively. If you see a Christian portrayed in a sitcom, you know, they're usually the, the idiot. If you see them betrayed in a drama, they're usually the killer. You know, it's that kind of thing, all right? So, so um, what could make us more appealing? Here's what the, the people, these 2,000 Americans said, that I would be more interested in listening to what Christians say if I saw them treat others better because of their faith. Wow. That should get all of us right here. That the world thinks we don't treat each other better and our faith doesn't make a difference in it. Second, if I saw them caring for people's needs because of their faith. Now again, church, I see us doing some of this. All right, so don't take this by way of correction saying, we're bad church, we haven't been doing this. No, we're doing a lot of this. But I want you to know what these unchurched people said. I'd listen to them more if I saw them happier because of their faith. Yeah, I, that's been me sometimes. All right, just to be frustrated. But if I saw them happier... Does having Jesus in your life make you happier? How many, just let me ask you, raise your hand. How many believe having Jesus in your life makes you happier? All right, excellent. Some of us need to send that message to our face. All right? Just a reminder of that, okay? So just not, I'm not talking about you, the person sitting next to you probably, all right? So anyway, all right. Um, I would be more willing to listen to them if I saw them standing up against injustice because of their faith. And we need to, yeah. All right? If I saw them use their faith to solve problems in our community. Again, church, I think we do a lot of this stuff, but I want you to kind of think, of, here's what other people said. And if I saw multiple races and ethnicities working together. In, oh, I skipped one. If I saw them use their faith to help them solve their personal problems. And then if I saw multiple faiths and ethnicities working together. And guys, we've pretty got, even though we have more white people in this church than anything else we've got a really good variety of people here and we can be the kind of church that can demonstrate this kind of stuff so I'm trying to do this is a reminder this is not a correction for what we're not doing but this is a way that we uh, what well, have you ever heard somebody say earn the right to be heard you ever heard that phrase I want to go a little bit further let's go to that next slide right there is not earn the right to be heard but we need to earn the desire to be heard if we start living out our faith really the way Jesus calls us to, then we'd be the kind of people that people walk up to us, that, um, that they'll walk up to you at school or at work or your neighbor and say, what is it different about you? But we've got to be able to show ourselves that. We've got to live such a life that says people want to know what it is that makes us different. So here's what I want you to do. And I know I've got to wrap up here. We're, we're almost to the last point. What can you do? First, ask yourself, do I help make our church a better, a, a more pleasant place? Do I help our church feel like a pleasant place? Ask yourself, am I glad to see my fellow believers? Think about whether you communicate sincerity to everyone who is here. And then this may take work for some of us, but find joy in connecting with God and let that joy flow from you into other people. Remember, we're talking about God working in us and through us. And so to find that joy that God putting within you and then letting it throw, flow through you to other people. Well, 
That was a tough one for me, too. I had to admit, I, I said some of these were going to be easier. And I think our church does a good job on most of these, but I'm telling you, it's just convicting to me. So that's why I'm not getting as fast through this as I want to, because God's going like, yeah, Watts, you've got to work on that one and that one and that one. So, um, so these are this little checklist that I gave you, that's stuff for me to work on, too, as well, I promise you. Let's go to the last point now, though. A healthy, growing church is a proclaiming church. Proclaiming here, we just mean telling people the good news about Jesus. And that's the part that everyone remembers from Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit descends at the first of the chapter and 3,000 people are saved. Yes, that's a big deal. But I don't want you to focus on the numbers. Focus on the fact that the believers went out into the streets and proclaimed the mighty deeds of God. That's what it says in verse 11. Very clearly, they went out into the streets and proclaimed the mighty deeds of God. And not only that, Peter got up and preached and continued to draw people to himself. And by the time we get to the next chapter, and, 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 um, and by the time we get to chapter 4, actually, the local church in Jerusalem had grown to about 5,000 already. Wow, think about that. Then you say, well, they grew from 3,000 to 5,000. You know, that's pretty good. No, they didn't grow from 3,000 to 5,000. Remember, those 3,000 people, a lot of them were in Jerusalem just for Pentecost. They were from other places. I imagine a good number of that 3,000 left and went back home as missionaries. And so I don't know how many were left there, but it continued to grow. And the church at this point had grown from 120 now up to 5,000. I can't even imagine what that would be like for that kind of growth in our church. Going back to Lifeway Research, they said this too, that more than half of the people, 55%, more than half of the people who attend church at least once a month, by the way, that's considered average attendance now, um, not here, we want you to be here more often than that, but that's about what they consider for regular church attendance now, that over half the people say it's been at least six months since they've shared the gospel with anyone. In fact, for some of them, it's been that long since they've had a spiritual conversation about Jesus with another believer. We just don't talk about it that much. And a church that doesn't proclaim Jesus, I'm going to say, is not a healthy church. In fact, I'm going to say a church that doesn't proclaim, pro, proclaim Jesus is not even really a church in my estimation. Now, don't hear me. I'm not judging any church out there. There are churches out there that, you know, I heard one of the things that doesn't even exist anymore, but the Crystal Cathedral, some of you may have watched the, you know, the Hour of Power with the Crystal Cathedral and thought, man, there's not much religious to that, not much Christian to it at some point. I know when it started, it was a very welcoming, open church, but there were, I know at that point, I've talked to some people who were there at that time, that it was full of people who were personal evangelists. And so they would draw people in with those warm, feel-good sermons, but they'd connect with Christians who began sharing their faith, and they actually were reaching people. So I'm saying just because you see a, a church that's doing a, uh, you know, a, a, a basic, very simple sermon does not mean they're not proclaiming Jesus in some way. But I'm just saying if they're not proclaiming Jesus in some way to their community, it's not very much of a church at all. Now, that isn't to say there's, there's not a place for churches to run schools, to feed the hungry, to provide counseling and tutoring. All those things are great and we need to do those. Those are part of how we touch the community. It's how we help people grow. But there's also other agencies that can do that. The only thing the church can do, the only thing the church, the only thing the church does that, that, that only the church can do 
is proclaim Jesus. Now, I realize that not everyone here in this room, everyone listening online, is comfortable with, with leading someone to Jesus. I grew up in the thing where that was it. That was a, it was always the, uh, it was almost like your own commission. It was like, you got you to bring home the sale. This, and that's not what we're talking about. It's okay if you don't feel like you can lead someone to Jesus now. Here's what I want you to think about. How about this as a starting place? Just getting to the point where you can let people know that you're a follower of Christ. Or at least letting God control the aspects of your life outside church meetings so that you're open, that your life is open to having spiritual conversations with people. Spiritual conversations with people, that would be a great start. And again, one of the surveys said that many Christians, that actually only a third of Christians will bring up a spiritual matter in conversation even with other Christians. So just come to the point where you can have spiritual conversations with your friends, your neighbors who aren't Christian. And maybe those spiritual conversations can then grow into gospel conversations. And who knows? You might wind up leading somebody to Jesus before you know it. Okay? And by the way, that's what your, your, your uh, leaders like Hunter and me and other people here at the church that are godly people, that's what we're for is to help you with that too. You can't, if, if I got a call from one of you guys next Wednesday or Friday or whatever day it is or a text that I, and it said, said uh, I'm, I'm about to go have a spiritual conversation with my next door neighbor, uh, pray for me and give me some verses. Man, I'd be walking three feet above the ground for the rest of the day just to get that kind of conversation. Right, so just being willing to do that. So, uh, some people have suggested that you might want to have like a God's ten most wanted list, like a um, five people that you could you could pray with right now, and five people you could have a, sp a spiritual conversation that that you couldn't pray. That you, let me rephrase that: five people you could share the gospel with right now, and five people who aren't ready to hear the gospel, but you could be praying for them. I've mentioned that before, but just like last week, I want you to just think about two right now. On your sheet, just list two people who are either unsaved or unchurched with whom you can have a talk about Jesus. You don't have to lead them to the Lord right now. You don't have to explain the whole gospel commitment to them right now if they're not ready. But then just list somebody you can share the gospel with and maybe list somebody you could pray for. So let's get to the what can you do. First, if you don't know how to share the story of Jesus, learn how to do it. And the place to start with that is learn how to share your journey with Jesus. What Jesus has meant to your life, that's the place to start. By the way, that's the one part of this that nobody can argue with. People can argue about whether Jesus really did this or whether the Bible's true or whatever that, like that, okay? That, those are actually arguable points. But when you say, this is what God has done in my heart, that's not arguable. They can't, they, they say they don't believe it, but they can't tell you that's not true. It's just not possible for them to do it. So start learning your own story with Jesus and be able to be willing to share it. Look for opportunities to share it with other people. Second, tell others about your faith in Jesus. Think about that. Um, again, have, try to find one or two non-Christians with whom you can talk about your faith in Jesus. And again, write their name on the handout if you, if you know them. Just writing it down is a commitment of a prayer to God to say, I will be looking for these opportunities. And then third, start praying for non-Christians by name. Maybe that means sharing with other people to pray for non-Christians by name too. But sharing for them, right? Now, the start of this passage was about people accepting Jesus. 3,000 people getting saved. 
the end of the passage comes right back to it. And God was adding to, his, to their number day by day those who were being saved. Remember, that's really what our church, our mission of our church is. As Christians, we have a, we have a commitment, we have a purpose to glorify God. But as a church, we have a mission. And that mission is to be a light on the hillside. Okay, I know we're on flat ground here, okay? But you know what I'm saying here. To be a light to people. To be a hospital for hurting people. To be a place where people who are realizing they need Jesus can come and find his healing. Or a place where people who don't yet know that they need Jesus can come here and learn that Jesus truly is the answer. So in recap, Healthy Growing Church is a powerful church. It is a providing church. It is a praising church. It is a pleasant church. And then our goal always is to be a proclaiming church, to acknowledge the one we are here to meet, the one who is powerful, the one who is present, is also the one who is available to a hurting lost world to come to know God through his son Jesus let's be that kind of church let's pray father thank you thank you thank you for your word today father thank you for what you did through that early church father thank you for how